0: remember story that you told that um, when you were about to graduate. Oh, that story, oh my that story is horrifying. If you, want, if you want your business to be a charity, then, then maybe form an NGO and start looking <laughs> into something <laughs> like that.
1: I don't believe in marriage, but you want me at your wedding.
0: We are all connected. So join me as I talk to like-minded people about topics that are appropriate to the current times we are living in. My name is Lerato Shabalala and this is Relevant. Hi everyone, how are you? Um, I'm, Today I'm very, very, very extremely excited about my next guest. And so I'm going to try and not do a long intro because I want to have a long conversation with her. <laughs> so. <laughs> we're talking about one of my favorite things, one of my favorite things. If you were to ask me what occupies my mind 90% of the time, and it's what me and this guest are going to talk about, which is food, guys. I love food. I love, I love cooking. I, I love everything about food. So I, I just want to get straight into it. She's the, the happy food underscore dietitian on Instagram. Please help me welcome Yuri Baga. Yuri, how are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks. How are you doing today? Good, good. Welcome
1: to Relevant. I'm
0: so excited to be talking to you.
1: Yes, I'm very excited for today's chat. Um, I mean, probably we love food at the same level. I mean, I studied it. I've made it to a career. So I think it's going to be lots of fun. It's going to be
0: loads of fun. So you are a dietitian. You studied genetics and you basically um use food as a way to kind of help us be healthier and debug some myths which we're going to be talking on throughout this time so i want to ask you you know for us uh, people of color when you say dietitian it's like when i said i was going to be a a journalist my parents were just like okay so how did this career um happen to you how did you end up choosing it um as as a as a as a as a thing for you
1: well actually i took a bit of a convoluted route to get here but i'm very glad i did end up where i am so after high school i didn't really know what i wanted to do but i knew i didn't want to be sitting in an office um, and for some reason i just gravitated towards sciences because i love biology in high school mm. so i said okay and i did this bsc in genetics physiology and psychology um, and that was three years But then at the end of the three years, you kind of see, okay, what do I actually do with this degree? Um, And actually lots of people who study the specific degree do it as a bridging course to get into medicine. Mm. So obviously my was like, oh, well you've made it this three years. Why don't you just apply for medicine? I was like, "Mm, you know, that's the one thing I've always known I don't want to do. Um, I would love working with people, but just blood me, it's not going to work. You know, it just, it wasn't going to work. And then I was sort of getting desperate towards the end of my third year. And I'm like, oh, spent all this, you know, we've paid a lot for this degree. And, you know, I want to do something with it, but I really just don't know where to go from here. And then I was scrolling on UCT's um, application site. I was looking to do honors somewhere. And I just happened to stumble upon this dietetics honors degree. And I'm like, oh, I know what a dietitian is. I mean, at the time, I had no idea what a (laughs) dietitian did. I'm looking back this of what dietitians offer compared to what I thought I was getting myself into was like 1%, less than 1%. But anyways, I applied and I sort of forgot about it because, yeah, I was just like, oh, I'm not going to get in. You know, what's the chances, UCT? So I sort of resigned myself to uh, moving into a different honours. And then in December of 2016, I got the acceptance. And two years later, very, very difficult two-year compressed course. And I graduated as a dietitian from UCT because yeah, and that's that's how I ended up here. And I think you know everything's meant to happen for a reason because I ended up being in the hospital for two years, and um, now I'm here. So I sort of half got my wish and sort of half got my dad's wish of being in the hospital. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's together. It's a,
0: it's
1: a great, and that's yeah, and that's how it happened.
0: That's amazing. I think maybe a great starting point is something that you mentioned that people don't actually have an understanding of the breadth of what dietitians do um, and what dietitians can offer so for somebody who is um, watching this and thinking actually
1: what does she do what do dietitians do well obviously the first thing that comes to anyone's mind is dietitian and weight loss and food police (laughs) and we're going to tell you to Eating all the food you enjoy. That's, I know, those are the top three things anybody enjoys. So, yeah. or thinks of anything a dietitian. And while that's not wrong, we obviously help you with all of those things, except we are not the food police and we don't tell you to stop eating the food you enjoy. Yeah. The scope is so, so wide. So, if I just break it up into sort of thinking of how we studied it, obviously, the first, the, a major one is uh, clinical. So, like I said, I worked in the hospitals. Lots and lots of dietitians are currently working on the front lines for this whole COVID pandemic. And it's, you know, people get surprised. Why are you in the hospital? What are you doing there? Surely you can't be telling people to lose weight when they're in the hospital. But um, so clinical dietitians will work with doctors, with a multidisciplinary team of the nurses, the physios and everybody. Because if you think about it, if you're in hospital and you're incapacitated or you're so, so ill and you're in a ventilator, for example, you have to get fed somehow and you can't physically eat. So we calculate feeds with enteral feeds and that's like basically through a tube, um, you know, into your digestive tract, or if you're very ill and you can't tolerate, you know, um, feeds like that, we calculate, and it's very specialized, it's called TPN, and you're fed intravenously sort of through your veins. And so that obviously takes a lot of, you know, science, knowledge, uh, drug interactions, you have to know medical terminology, you have to understand what the doctors are saying. So that's sort of the clinical part, and it's it's called medical nutrition therapy. It's literally... Um, using food in conjunction with medicine to ensure the best outcome for the patient in a clinical setting. Um, So that's clinical dietetics. Um, And then just thinking about a hospital, obviously, if you're in a hospital, everyone needs to be fed. Uh, So in order to get that done, you need a kitchen, a big food service unit. Um, And I mean, that's not just in hospitals, that's boarding schools, that's restaurants, that's, you know, um, uh, all-age homes, schools, all of that and uh, dietitians are also trained in food service management and I mean that's completely different to clinical so while we are doing an assignment when we're studying for you know someone that's on a ventilator that needs feeds the next day we'll be working in a food service unit helping people cut vegetables ration scales menu planning budgeting right. recipes um, all of that so we do work in a food service unit as well there are lots of dietitians in that and that's very different it's It's less to do with the specific, you know, nutrient value and sort of nutritional implications of food, but very much to do with sort of the planning around food and serving food and all of that. And then obviously, I think very underrated and very much needed in this country, and we don't have enough of them, is community dietitians. So they work in our communities, uh, sort of at a preventative level, um, in schools, in public clinics, um, doing education, and, you know, it's... When I was studying, I think I was so shocked. It was four or five districts in the Western Cape and huge, huge districts, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people. And there was one dietitian doing all of this. So she'd have to like spread her time over a month and do a district every other week. And it it doesn't work, but it's so, so important because at the end of the day, if we can nip things that rise due to poor nutrition in the long run, if we can nip it in the bud in the beginning, we'd be cutting our healthcare budget, you know, so much. But unfortunately, you know, it's very tricky. And I think the world over community uh, preventative measures, not just with, you know, nutrition, I think it is sort of overlooked. So obviously, we have lots to do there. And then obviously, consulting and private practicing dietitians is what we commonly know as we see you one on one, we'll help you with your individualized diet, If you want to lose weight, if you're athlete will help you there, Uh, corporate consulting, writing. um, There's dietitians who are solely uh, sort of consulting with big food manufacturers to, you know, uh, say yes or no, you can actually have this specific claim on a food. I mean, if you say it's low fat, is it really low fat? If not, you're going against the legislation. Dietitians have to know all of that and they consult for that. And uh, academia. I mean, Yeah, we have a big role to play in academia because we wouldn't know what we know if it wasn't for the dietitians doing the hard footwork in the labs and doing all the studies. So, yeah, I mean, that's also very basically explained. But as you can see, it's a lot more than just weight loss. Definitely. Um, And I think it's that's
0: actually why I wanted to talk to you, because I think that a lot of people, the word diet has stopped uh, has moved, has mutated, actually that's what it is, has mutated from being just about nourishment and nutrition mm-hmm. to losing weight, which I yes. I think is is, is incorrect. So you I want to spend some time talking about current trends that people um, are talking about that are all over the internet and the socials. What is it for somebody who's asking um, and uh, how does it affect you? So let's start with... Um, intermittent fasting intermittent fasting so everybody talks about it it's all over YouTube people are like this is what you must do but what is it and why is it such a thing right now Um, and
1: is it it, should everybody be doing intermittent fasting the funny thing with intermittent fasting is that it's not new at all it's actually one of the oldest I don't want to say diets but basically Um, patterns of eating that is there I mean people or specific you know religious uh, beliefs for different uh, cultures have used intermittent fasting for hundreds of years Um, actually it was probably a few years ago early 2000s I think it had its time in the spotlight it sort of died down and now it's come back Mm. so it's sort of like a simple thing when the diet or the wellness industry doesn't know what to make its money with and it sort of rebrands an old existing diet and then it just hypes it up a lot so in terms of whether it's good or bad it really does depend there's no one size fits all it could work amazingly well for some people and it has some people you know they stand by it they did their intermittent fasting and they lost all their weight and they kept it off other people they did it for you know three or four months sort of doing it correctly couldn't really manage it and they hated you know every minute of it but intermittent is basically the rule that you will. It's in the name. You will eat only for a specified amount uh, of hours in in the day, and the rest of the time you're going to fast, sort of in the hopes that you're going to kickstart your body into using the fat so you lose weight. That's essentially yeah. what we hear when 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 it's advertised out there in social media and all of that. But there's lots of different types. You know, there's a 18-2, there's a 5-7, there's different ones. So sometimes it's you know you eat every for two hours and then you have an 18 hour break or you you know, if, if you start looking into it, there's lots of different ones, which is why you have to do your research and it can get very, very confusing, mm. but in terms of whether it's actually healthy or not, of all the fad diets that are out there, there is some evidence that in certain situations, intermittent fasting does have its place compared to, for example, uh, I would say keto or detoxes or something like that. So, you know, Uh, depending on your lifestyle um, it may work for you but it's definitely not something that the whole population should go and do it's just not feasible so this is your question yeah and I think it's not not everything is for everyone
0: and I think that is um, clear from your answer and I think the the discussion we're having today is just about finding the thing that works for you. So one of the things that everybody's talking about also at the moment, and I, while I eat these, I actually don't understand what it means. So I'm asking this as much for myself as for others. So when we say anti-inflammatory foods, what do we mean? And what effects do they have um, on our bodies? Why is it such a thing to have anti-inflammatory uh, an anti-inflammatory diet and food um, be part of your daily, weekly intake?
1: Okay, so let's see. Let's start here. Anti-inflammatory foods obviously are very important, but they're not more important than any other food that you're having. So if you are a generally healthy person that doesn't have an inflammatory medical condition, then there's really no need for you to be going out there and finding only anti-inflammatory foods to get into your diet. If you are having a well-rounded balanced diet, you will be getting in these foods, whether you know it or not, and they will be helping you in the way that they're meant to. Um, So for example, uh, there are certain conditions where it is recommended that you should be having more anti-inflammatory foods, sort of just to help support your body. Um, For example, Let's think if you have a medical condition, I've gone blank, uh, example, uh, let's think uh, autoimmune disease, for example, and they yeah. say, oh, it's anti-inflammatory and you need to go in this and this and this and they very restrictive diet. Unless you're sitting down with a registered nutritional professional who really knows your detailed individualized history, that could be doing more harm than good because lots of foods are pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory. Um, It is quite confusing and I won't even get into the details of that. For example, lots of people say, oh, um, stay away from canola oil because it's actually pro-inflammatory. But then if you have to think about the amount of canola oil you'd have to be eating for it to actually have the negative pro-inflammatory effect, nobody should be having that much oil anyway. (laughs) If you are having that much oil that this this little bit of canola oil is going to be having such a bad effect. I think we have a bigger discussion to be having. Yeah. Um. So it, it has to do with context. Um. There's nothing wrong with including anti-inflammatory foods in your diet, but to say that everybody needs to be on an anti-inflammatory diet um, and cutting out any other food, again, that's just going to cause more problems for you. You're going to cut out foods that you don't want to be cutting out. And if you do have other medical conditions that need, example these foods you may be cutting out unknowingly then yeah you're gonna have another problem a few weeks down the line and then you know back at square one plus another problem so
0: the simplest way to define anti-inflammatory foods what does it mean just in the most simplest way for people to understand what are anti-inflammatory foods and who should be taking them i mean you kind of half answered it that if you have a condition yeah it's something to consider but what are they? In the most simplest way for people like me to understand, what does it mean?
1: So anti- so in our bodies, we have pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory processes, and these will obviously be influenced by the foods that we eat. So we are eating uh, foods that are not supporting these anti-inflammatory processes. So, you know, uh, very highly processed foods, um, not a lot of fruit and vegetables. Um, we're not getting in any fruits, which most of the antioxidants have an anti-inflammatory effect omega-3s and things like that, we're not getting any of these anti-inflammatory foods in, which obviously is not going to be great on our body because a natural sort of bodily process is inflammation and we need it to be there. But if we're not supporting this and we have an underlying issue, it's going to turn into a a problem down the line. Mm. So it's basically, yeah. So things like um, blueberries or uh, our green leafy veggies, basically fruits and vegetables, because if you're getting in a good variety of fruits and veggies, you will be getting in your anti-inflammatory foods. For example, if we're only deep frying our foods with sunflower oil, that's going to mean, okay, we're not getting any omega-3s. We're having highly processed foods. We sort of supporting the pro-inflammatory systems in our body because we're not pumping it with the right uh, nutrients and the right anti-inflammatory foods, which are fresh foods, minimally processed, uh, very colorful foods, Think berries, um, brinjals, tomatoes, peppers with all the the, basically the different colours. We want lots of colour. If we're having just you know fish fingers and a piece of bread and potato chips, it's beige. There's nothing in there. There's no colour. There's no none of these antioxidants which support uh, the normal processing functions in our body. Yeah,
0: that's a great way to explain it. I mean, I think I've just understood because I've. I've been wondering, like, what does it actually mean? And I think this is like the simplest. Yeah. Um, and I think when you mention berries, it's a nice segue into um, one of the other sort of buzzwords of the moment, which is superfoods. You know, everybody talks about, we have superfoods, chia seeds, berries. And for people who also are like, what are superfoods? And I think, look, there are different reasons why this is happening. We have Jamie Oliver to thank for having an entire series about superfoods.
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah. are they?
0: why is it so important? And once again, what's the obsession with superfoods?
1: So let me start off by saying that superfoods is one of the most inventive marketing tactics of the <laughs> century. I, I because it is literally just marketing it's clever wording trying to get people to eat their vegetables which is what we've been saying for years and years and years if like it's crazy actually speaking about programs and people and you know self-proclaimed health you know gurus i was watching a show on tv just last week and it was speaking about superfoods and when i was watching it i was just thinking There's nothing super about any of these foods. These are just foods you should be eating. You just stuck a label on it. Now you've gotten people to believe that it has these miraculous healthifying properties. And and it's crazy that along with that label of superfoods, the markup on the food in terms of price is crazy. So now it has people believing, oh, gosh, I can't afford these superfoods. I'm not going to be healthy. I'm missing out. And that's a whole other problem. But superfoods is basically just a label that's been stuck on foods that have very good health and nutritional properties. I mean, for example, I grew up eating or cooking with turmeric, for example.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, As an Indian, we use turmeric in everything. Everything is yellow. If it's not yellow, it's not right. (laughs) Exactly. And now I go to these health awareness, you know, very uh, modern health cafes, and they're trying to sell me a glass of turmeric milk for 60 bucks because they've... (laughs) labeled as anti-inflammatory as we were just speaking about. I'm like, what, how? how? <laughs> no, it doesn't make sense. So, I mean, there's nothing really super about these foods in that it's not, it, nothing better than, you know, the bag of spinach that you'll pick up at Checkers or Pick and Pay. It's really, it's not like it's better than those foods. It's just that they've done a really good job in sort of making them seem that way. And obviously, they have picked foods that are not as commonly available. So it does seem like, oh, if it's hard to get, it must be better for me because you know, super healthy. Then, uh, the the goji berries, the chia seeds, exactly. the hemp seeds. They just they're not as familiar in like you know our yes. to in stores, uh, and obviously they you find them in more of these bespoke health and you know health and uh, wellness shops. But uh, yeah, if you think about it. The things that they kind of, that make these foods superfoods are the normal nutritional properties you can find in sort of other foods. For example, uh, the cranberries, the dried cranberries, whether you buy them dried or fresh from, you know, the, the shop, it's going to give you the same effect. Uh, if You're buying a bag of goji berries from, uh, you know, uh, individual wellness shop, or if you found a bag of Woolworths, it's the same thing. It's just not going to have that sticker saying, um, one of the 10 best superfoods sort of a thing. So I hope that answers your question and debunks the myth that a superfood even exists. A superfood is any food that can give you a good nutritional value um, Yeah, if you're eating it on a regular basis.
0: I can tell you that I speak on behalf of many of the people who are going to be laughing as hard as I was laughing at what you were saying because... We have all been, and, and I mean, I work in advertising. I used to be in media. I work in advertising and advertising about, is about selling. And so when, the moment you said it was a marketing tactic, it like I felt it because, as you say, we should be eating these things anyway, right? And so now it's dressed up as something extra when actually this is what you should be eating anyway. Um, yeah. So, uh, another thing I wanted to get into in this uh, is going to be interesting to hear your answer is going to be interesting with obviously we're living in the time of uh, a pandemic with COVID-19 and um, the loads of things um, that we are told to eat so I actually took a picture which I must uh, I've been meaning to post um, on Twitter where I had ginger that I bought I think in November October last year and it was 25 (laughs) rand. And then this year, <coughs> I went and got ginger, and it was I think a hundred and like thirty something rand. The jump—it's not even six months. It's not even in that three months. It has jumped that much in 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 price because obviously we're taught this is what you must um, have now. Um, and I, and, and, and I understand it's a supply and demand thing, but I just also feel like we're being jagged in the day. This is just how I feel. Yeah,
1: uh, don't No, no, know? they actually, yeah. There was actually uh, an inquiry into the two, I think it was two of the big chains uh, because they were sort of hyping up the price because they saw that people were like, oh my gosh, people think ginger is like the saving grace for COVID now. Need to go buy all the ginger. And they started you know, increasing the price. And there was an inquiry into that because that's what happens, but it's very wrong and it's, Oh, it's sort of like how everyone went and stocked up in toilet papers. This mass hysteria kind of thing, where you know, okay, all of a sudden I heard this food is good. It's not any better than it was yesterday. It's not gonna, you know. <laughs> so yeah, that that is actually. I've, you're not the only person that has had this this comment on the ginger. Someone in my family was telling me the very same thing. It's ridiculous. So, it's it's insane. It's absolutely yeah, no, it isn't. And
0: so one yeah. of the things we're being told is have ginger shots, right? That's one of the trends at the moment is yeah. ginger ginger shots. And and listen, everybody, I'm not. I think Yuri and I are not saying you shouldn't do these things, but the the whole point of uh, what we discuss. On uh, relevant is to have the relevant conversations, which is what everybody's doing right now. Everybody's talking about have ginger shots. And if you take them, take them. But we speak to professionals, people who work with food and other things, so that we're informed. So ginger shots. Um, what's the what's the vibe? I mean, are we meant to take them every day? Like What's what's the thing around, uh, uh, t- especially turmeric and ginger <laughs> shots, it's like a, a thing, especially, you the know, thing, okay, the, thing. These, these bespoke places. This is what they'll tell you, you know, this is where, <laughs> take this.
1: Yeah, so again, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, like you said. Absolutely. Honestly, it's probably, if you, if you were someone that wasn't eating as healthily and including these sort of, you know, healthy foods in your diet before and this, has sort of made you make the change, then you know that's actually kind of a good thing, but mm-hmm. at the same time, context you have to know why you're doing it. Don't just do it because right. you saw some Instagram person in- influencer say, I had my turmeric and ginger shot and my skin is glowing today. <laughs> no, you need to know why because it's not going to do that. They put a filter on and then that's why they were glowing. It's not the ginger and turmeric, but it doesn't take away from the benefits that the ginger and turmeric. Um, will provide you. So if you're having a daily and you enjoy it and it's not like this chore that you've now given on to yourself to do, go for it. It's not, I mean, un- unless you really have been told by your doctor or healthcare professional, please don't eat ginger, which is, you know, very rare. I don't think I know anyone that's ever been told that. Then go for it. I mean, you can, it does have, you know, it has gingerol. It has some, uh, it has studies to show that ginger does have Uh, good properties for brain health, you know, nausea, general, you know, keeping your immune system boosted. And also, I mean, a sort of placebo, if it helps you feel like you're healthier and it makes you take part in healthier things, then why not? It's not going to make you unhealthier. It's not going to cause anything bad if you're taking a shot of ginger and turmeric every day. It's just important to know why you're doing it and understanding that it's not going to, you know, cure all. It's not like Gonna save you from COVID, but it might help keep your immune system supported, so that um, you are better protected should you be, you know, at risk or infected or anything down the line.
0: So, what do ginger shots do, Yuri? What's the
1: point of having them? Well, okay. So, like I said, so gingerol, uh, ginger has uh, sort of uh, it's called gingerol. It actually, sounds like a lie. It's literally called gingerol, and basically, it's one of those foods that uh, has I don't want to say medicinal properties, but obviously, traditionally. People through the years have taken ginger and all those types of things over the years as a preventative measure uh, in in getting sick so because of its properties, it is uh, an immune booster and it has specific antioxidants to to boost brain health um, basically and it reduces the oxidative stress in our body because it is an anti it has these antioxidants as a powerful antioxidant and um, it essentially just sort of reduces the effects of these um, because antioxidants is to 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 reduce antioxidative stress. And basically, in that way, it can help keep our bodies healthier than if you weren't taking it, for example. Um, I think also for morning sickness, it's a it's a very good one. So it sort of reduces symptoms of general feelings of illness. And it really just comes down to its micronutrient and anti- antioxidant components. That's what a ginger ginger shot does for you it's not uh, anything more than that Um, of course they can make it taste good and put into juices and they can now stick a health claim in it because they are actually you know long sort of a connotation to ginger that it is healthy and it's been used for years and years to uh, be sort of a medicinal support through nutrition Um, but essentially it comes down to its antioxidant and Uh, reducing the oxidative stress in our body, those properties. That's what it comes
0: down to. Oh, wow. Like I had no idea about the morning sickness as well. I think this is going to be useful to women who've got no idea. Okay, so one of the last uh, uh, trends I want to talk to you about is we hear about brain food. Food, brain needs, this is going to be good for your brain.
1: What does it mean?
0: Is it another... uh, Is it another tactic? Uh, Is it another marketing tactic? Or are are brain foods really a real thing?
1: Okay, this is not so much a marketing tactic, but it refers to foods that will help support good brain health and memory and concentration if eaten as part of a regular diet consistently. So if, okay, I have an exam tomorrow and I'm like, oh gosh, I haven't studied. And then I'm going to go have four bowls of brain food. It's it's not going to help you. It's (laughs) not going to like boost one second it's something that if you are for example maybe you know you're at risk for Alzheimer's because it runs in your family and you can focus on having those types of foods in your diet from now until forever you just sort of include them in your everyday so brain foods are basically things and I've mentioned them so many times because it's usually the answer antioxidants anti-inflammatories and then sort of omega-3s we always hear about omega-3s when when we talk about brain health Um, because these are essential fatty acids and they are essential in that we don't get them our bodies are not able to produce them them,
0: yeah we
1: we have to get them from our diet Um, and examples of omega-3s is essentially if you're having one to two servings of fatty fish a week you will be getting in your necessary amount of Um, omega-3s plant-based is a bit trickier because it's not such an active form that we're getting it in but i mean better something than nothing. So I think walnuts, pine nuts, flax seeds, um, you can get supplements in terms of algae and seaweed supplements now that you can get your omega-3s in. And basically, it's just really good to support good brain health because um, who doesn't want to take care of their brain? So it's, again, one of the things where If you want to make a concerted effort to get more of these foods in more often because you're worried that you are at risk for poor brain health or you want to improve your concentration or you've been recommended by your healthcare practitioner, sure. But if you are already having a healthy, balanced diet, you should be getting in these foods anyway, and it's not something you should need to put extra, extra effort into um, to be getting these foods in. So it's not so much a marketing gimmick; it's just sort of a, lay, a umbrella term that's been stuck on a group of foods, namely omega threes and antioxidants.
0: I, I love the way you are able just to break down these things on a very sort of layman uh, perspective, <laughs> so that we're able just to understand what you guys, as dietitians and health protecti- practitioners, mean uh, when you say certain mm-hmm. uh, things. So one when, when I was reading up on you. <laughs> Uh, one of the things I was like oh, I had no idea about and it, it, it's and it's because I literally just opened a bottle of this uh, two days ago because my regular sea salt ran out is one of the things that you debunk and about uh, Himalayan salt the pink salt um, and I haven't I don't normally use it but for some reason this year I decided oh, let me let me use it. People talk about it. And then I read what you said about it not being so healthy. And I was like, shit, (laughs) i am just open
1: it. (laughs) It's not that it's not healthy. It's just it's not healthier than normal salt. I mean, in the long, like, in the overall bigger scheme of things, it's fine. It's not like, I'm not going to say, please throw away your very (laughs) expensive Himalayan salt. I mean, it's not, I mean, I have, we have Himalayan salt at home because before I knew better and I was able to, you know, educate people around me. It was also sort of like, cool, people are using this. It must have some, you know, some good thing to it. What's the harm? And that's, it really is. What's the harm? But if you're having it because you're thinking it's going to benefit me more than the normal iodated salt from pick and pay or wherever uh, then no. Yes, there are trace, trace elements of other, you know, minerals and, uh, you know, the elements, zinc, copper, those ones, there's very minimal trace elements, but it's, so little like the amount is so little it's not it's not significant enough that it will actually um benefit you because if you're having that much salt again we have a bigger problem at hand you shouldn't be having that much salt um but when I was actually chatting on 702 about this or Cape Talk I can't remember a caller mentioned that lots of uh people sort of have the Himalayan salt more as a sort of a cultural thing like a traditional thing um in terms of uh, that. And I mean, in that sense, I'm not saying, you know, please just turf your cultural religious preferences because I said iodated, normal salt is better. I'm just saying that if you heard from wherever that you're from Himalayan salt, then you can probably save a few bucks and just have normal salt, because that's not gonna happen.
0: So what's the, dif- so, yeah. what's the difference between uh, normal salt And uh, when I say normal salt, I mean sea salt. Um, The only time I use iodated salt um, is to boil, it was when I'm boiling pasta. Otherwise, I don't use it at all in anything. So, what somebody's watching and thinking, okay, I've got sea salt and I've got Himalayan salt. Um, What's the difference?
1: So, the only difference, as I mentioned, between Himalayan sea salt and normal sea salt is essentially that the Himalayan sea salt has all the different trace elements in it. Um, very minimal quantities but that's really just the difference and and a very minor reduction in the sodium content to normal sea salt but that really is the difference Um, and obviously in the type of crystal or sea salt crystals it comes from is different because of the area and how it's mined that's why these trace elements are in them Um, but that's really just the only difference between the two is that Himalayan salt does have these extra little trace elements and that's what people have sort of jumped on to sort of market it as being this healthy alternative to salt. But at the end of the day, it's still going to give you the same taste, more or less the same taste profile, uh, minor, like, difference in sodium. So if you are looking to, like, be healthy in terms of sodium reduction for heart disease, hypertension, all of that, then, you know, just swapping over to Himalayan sea salt is not going to help you. You're going to have to still reduce your overall intake, even if you are having the Himalayan sea salt. So that's really the difference. It's a minor difference, um, but it's it's a big enough difference for the health industry to have jumped on and capitalized on.
0: Uh, <laughs> I, I I should I should have like chatted to you a long time ago. You are just um, amazing so in terms sort of breaking things down. and just being like so honest, Yuri. Um, I just want to remind everybody she's the, she's the happy food underscore dietitian on Instagram. Her Instagram is amazing. Um, so, so this year, in um, fact, not just this year, over the last I'd say five years, Yuri, we've seen a lot of people talk about plant based food um, and why we should uh, focus on having more plant based food. Obviously, being African people and people of color, um, you know. Um, in Zulu, we, we call them imifi, you know, you know, we're very kind of used to eating vegetables. But then there's also what happened with um, having money and gentrification, this idea that having processed food meant you had a little bit more money, you know, you were able to have a burger, a pizza. And so vegetables started being this, not, not having the same glass as processed food. and. Um, obviously, you know, we've watched, uh, David Attenborough talk, talk to us about how the more farms we have, the, the, the gases are bad for the environment, but on the real though, um, should we be going more plant-based and I'm not talking about the vegan space. I mean, the vegan space is its own um, thing, just like more, uh, plant-based, uh, food like should we be focusing on it more should you be having a plant-based meal once a day should it be uh meat-free Mondays you know (laughs) you know everything's a hashtag everything's cool now but like seriously what when people are thinking about plant-based food what should they be um thinking about
1: so this is one of those Sort of diet trends that has come along and i am actually 100 percent behind it <laughs> um, unfortunately it has been taken over by more that it's a trend versus the actual importance of why it should be happening yes. so um yeah we should all be aiming to be more plant-based and that's not saying you must cut out every last bit of animal source products or animal foods from your diet it's just that there is an abundance of scientific literature that supports that plant-based eating and more plant-based sort of uh, consumption of those types of foods is going to support your health in the long run because it's sort of simple to think if you are cutting out these animal products, which are usually high fat, you know, a lot harder in the body to sort of break down. um, They often have been processed now. It's just, it's better for heart health 100% because you're getting in more greens, fibers, whole grains, plant-based proteins, beans, lentils. I mean, they're so underrated. The more of these you get in, the better it is going to be, not even in terms of, you know, the environment, but simply at an individual level for your personal individual health. And this is regardless of whether you have or do not have any specific medical conditions. But for the general population, a plant-based diet is the way to go. And that can be just a meat-free Monday or uh, choosing a new plant-based protein to add in once a week, or just just, literally just increasing amount of fruits, veggies and uh, legumes you're including in your weekly, monthly diet because they are so beneficial to us. They are the superfoods, essentially. I mean. To, to be, Simply put, they are, um, and they are very underrated. So, yeah, it's one of those things that I think's become a trend, but it, it shouldn't be like a, a fashion, fashionable diet trend because it is actually, this one's got some scientific backing, so, yeah, it's, it's quite good. Uh, but it can be very tricky to navigate now because of all the different opinions coming in, like you said, with now the vegan movement sort of uh, becoming the more prominent one. It sort of scares people off because the prospect of not having any animal foods can be daunting because it sort of does limit what you're able to do. And in such a busy life, it's, you don't want to be thinking about, Oh goodness, where am I going to find a completely, you know, vegan meal when I'm going out and stuff, but no plant-based agree with that. It's really good.
0: Yeah. You know, so Yuri, one of the things I decided, I, I was, I went vegetarian a couple of years ago, but I have a quite a hectic B12 um, um, deficiency so i have to really make sure that i've got enough iron in my body but because i'm a little bit of a hippie i have really you can see i've got like my amethyst stone there which is my breadstone. stone i'm like i burn incense and <laughs> you know i do all those things i have like turmeric tea and i've realized that <laughs> i need to really And I've decided this year consciously to have as much plant-based food as as possible. Yes, I will want, like yesterday, I wanted a lamb uh, curry. I will have it. But I try just because of our environment and our homes and our bodies. When I say home, I mean like our home, the earth home. The
1: earth, yeah. Yeah, the the earth, earth. yes. No, no, no. It's definitely important. It's It's literally just, I think the amount of non-plant-based foods we're having now is excessive. They, like, there's just no need to be eating meat, fish, chicken, eggs for every meal of every day. There's such a variety out there. You won't, like, it, it's a bit of effort in the beginning, but you won't miss it. There is so many options out there now, and they really are quite delicious. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, definitely. It's it's sort of like, a, if you, even if people who are, you know, carnivores to the core, and we, there are lots of those people, I mean, People in South Africa often joke that chicken is is a vegetable. So I mean it's pretty hard to crack that because people don't want to let go of these um, you know, meat products. It's not to say you can't have them, it's just experiment a bit more, be a bit open-minded and just reduce it a little bit and introduce more plant-based. It's not there's a compromise and it definitely can work and it's necessary for the environment for sure. Um, and of course why not do something that's going to help your health in the long term? So it's honestly a (laughs) win-win-win.
0: Totally, totally. I'm like, if it's green, it's good for you. So uh, um, people are going to think I'm throwing shade with, this is one of my last two questions, and I'm really not throwing shade. Um, I'm, I'm speaking to a dietitian, so I've got to ask this. But one of the things that's very sort of hot right now on Instagram is ACV. I was like, what is ACV, apple cider vinegar, everybody? So anyway, so I've, I've, you know, I've seen people saying it's the number one thing. If you want to lose your tummy, have apple cider vinegar. And um, people mix it with all kinds of things. And when you have it raw, it, it, it can be a little bit like an exorcism because it's so... <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. So what's, what's the thing about apple cider vinegar? Why are we, why is it the fed... Why is it the tummy burning? There is no thing.
1: I'm just going to start there. Uh, there is no thing.
0: It's not a thing. It's a lie.
1: I'm just, I'm not even going to try and answer it, try and substantiate the science against it. It's, it's just, I don't know how this one got so popular. It's just like the lemon water one. I don't know if it's like, but I don't know. Uh, I, I won't lie. And I won't say that I've really delved into the science of it because I know at the base, at the core, they really, there's just no, feasible way that you drinking a really sour, awful shot of A C D in the morning is going to burn belly fat. Because I've seen that claim. Yes. One shot of ACV in the morning will burn one kilogram of belly fat in a week. And you know, it's probably not going to happen, but maybe it makes you feel so gross afterwards. You don't want to eat your next meal and so you're eating less and so you're losing. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's like the, the science behind it. No, no, I'm, I'm joking. But um again, really, um, it's it's not gonna there's nothing in apple cider vinegar. It's literally just vinegar. It's very sour apple cider vinegar. There's nothing in it that's going to trigger, you know, the metabolic systems of your body to burn more fat. It's it's not gonna happen. Plain and simple. Um and to be honest, a lot of people, you know, if you're doing this every day, you can actually have a bit of a if you if you are prone to ulcers and if you are sensitive to very, you know strong um, flavors and, and, you know, something as strong as vinegar, it can actually result uh, in, you know, reflux and heartburn and stuff, if you are prone to that kind of thing. And yeah, it can be a bit hard on your teeth as well if you're not rinsing afterwards. I mean, dentists, I've spoken to one or two dentists and they say they've seen a lot these days with the ACV and the lemon water, especially. You know, it's a bit harsh on your teeth it can kind of uh, erode if you're doing it too often and not rinsing afterwards. So to be honest, if it's something you do and you actually enjoy it, I'd I don't I would, I'd rather than go for the lemon water because you're getting hydration in. But there are easier ways and less painful ways to burn fat. But unfortunately, people are after for the quick fix. And, you know, if you hear that, I just have to take this tiny shot of something gross just once in the morning and I can lose all these kilograms. I mean, it sounds great. But again, if it sounds too good to be true, you know what they say.
0: It probably is.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm not. Uh, yeah. As you can see, I don't even want to go into it. Don't, it's just I just want to say, don't do it. It's, <laughs> it's not worth. It's not worth it. They are easier ways. <laughs> I don't support it. Put it that way. Um, I think where I'm an associate at in Bali, Mapoli, she has. I think she has a post on on ACV and it, it debunks this amazingly well. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you could you could check her out for that. Um, and I mean, even if you just type in acv and dietitian you should be able to find a nice long blog post from like nearly every other dietitian out there because it's one of these things that comes up so much we just we are tired
0: (laughs) you guys roll your eyes at us like oh ladies just eat well and go to gym
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's not even like rolling your eyes it's it's just like we it's it's sad to see people putting themselves through all these horrible detoxes and trends and suffering and not enjoying something that is as wonderful as food and cutting foods out. And it's just, it's, it's sad. And we just don't want you to put yourself through that. It's not like we, we think, Oh, uh, we think less of you or anything. It's literally, we, it's, it's, it's not necessary. It makes us sad.
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, like really this is, I think a lot of people are going to watch this podcast and be like, oh my goodness, I had (laughs) no idea, no idea. And remember, please, if you enjoyed my conversation um, with Yuri, subscribe, um, hit the notification button so that you can find out when the next podcast uh, hits. And we are on uh, Spotify, we are on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast. So my last question, Yuri, Ben, is we know we must eat healthy that we know, and we know mm-hmm. that, especially in these times, um, living through a pandemic, that the healthier you are, the the more you can survive, um, even the worst of what happens, whether it's the pandemic or whether it's any other disease that you may have, really food is very That's connected to how we function as, um, or human beings and somebody right now is probably watching this wanting to make the change you're not knowing where to start or what to do um feeling inept because there's so much this the superfoods everything there's just just not knowing what to do where would you advise somebody to start when it comes to um really um letting go of processed foods and um trying to get the best for you like for me what has worked for me is making my own food um And I know it's not really like the sexiest thing. Everybody wants to Uber Eats and all this other stuff. But I love knowing where my food comes from. I do a lot of meal prep, like on a Sunday. Uh, It's like not only self-care for the body, but then I food as well. And I find that making my own food allows me to feel a little bit more like I know what's in there. And also enjoy it, tailor-make it for me and I know it's not for everybody, not everybody has to Mm. make their own food, but where would you advise somebody? And I'm talking particularly for people of colour. Go back to us, black people, coloured people, people who we've been deprived so much. And so food for us um, means much more than just sustenance. You know, it's like a status symbol. hundred percent,
1: yes. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. So let's... After that. I think as time has gone by, what is considered healthy has changed so much, especially now for, as you mentioned earlier, as we've moved and become, uh, what what you were explaining was the nutrition transition is essentially this moved in shift in socioeconomic demographic epidemiological change in our nutrition. So people of color who were previously only able to afford things literally that were harvested fresh because, you know, that's how it used oh. to be. And now more expensive things you sort of think well okay if I can afford these things and they are there they must be healthier but that's also not true and then so you sort of move away from the food you grew up with and essentially the easiest thing is to go back to what you used to eat when you were younger when you were growing up what your grandparents fed you from the earth non-processed simple foods lots of greens not processed delicious and it holds that memory you know of your heritage essentially so go so that's like obviously a very vague answer but essentially that's what we should be doing because definition of health these days for lack of a better word has been whitewashed because what's considered healthy is not what I considered healthy and sort of the narrative around when you speak about what a healthy food is and I've heard it kind of you know just in groups not negatively it's just sort of become the norm they say oh yeah but that's normal food i'm like it's not normal food for me it's normal food for you yeah. for me normal food is well not to fit a stereotype but it is essentially curries and you know rotis yeah. and things like that or you know for uh, black people it would be you know pup and now if you say i'm going to eat pup they'd be like, oh no pup's not healthy you can't have pup you must have barley or you know yeah. that's sort of what the the media will say is healthy but no traditional foods can be healthy they are healthy and we should just go back to our roots really so if you are stuck and you don't know where to start I would say is pick five goals and approach them gradually because if you're going to try and do everything at once you are going to have such a struggle and probably you're not going to stick to it so for example if you're just trying to move away from more processed foods I would do what you're doing try and cook more of your meals at home know what's going into your pot and onto your plate and if that's not possible well then maybe you would need to you know set up a meeting with someone that can teach you some label reading so you know how processed the food is that you're eating because it's important to know you know not all processed foods are there lots of there's like for example frozen vegetables um there's nothing wrong with frozen veggies but lots of people sort of stay away from them when it could actually be making their life so much easier so You have to know what's going to work for you, your budget, your preferences, your lifestyle, how busy you are, whether you like cooking or whether you don't like cooking. So pick five goals, you know, say, uh, example, uh, include at least two vegetables at every meal. That's an easy one. That's a great way to, you know, be healthier just from the get-go. Uh, most people don't get enough water in. Get your water in. It will probably also help reduce unnecessary snacking because lots of the time we're not snacking because we're hungry. There we go. For snacking because mm-hmm. tasty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's you know, simple things like that. If you're getting takeout, I don't know, like every day in the weekday, then maybe it's time to consider meal prep, or if you really just do not like cooking, there are now lots of companies available that allow you to sort of uh pre-order healthier foods that you can just pop in the oven or microwave um i think fit chef is one of them we have you cook nowadays uh, there's also the subscriptions where you can order like a whole lot of veggies kind crates i think is another one so there's lots of options now for the busy working individual there's no excuse to sort of just uber eats your way through the day um there's lots of ways to be healthier and with a little bit just you know like a couple hours on a monday or any day you have and like a few hours on the weekend even just jotting down sort of a plan for the week. It doesn't have to be like exact, just sort of knowing, okay, this is what I need to eat for the week. This is what I'm going to buy from the grocery store. Uh, These are my busy days. I'm going to prep a bit in advance for this. You know, small changes over time. Don't try and do it all at once. Um, And I would say, make sure you're surrounding yourself with people who are like-minded because it can be very intimidating if you have your one aunt from this site saying, no, you need to be on this juice cleanse and then, you know, your work colleague is saying, oh, actually, you know, you have to be uh, only eating this brand of chicken. I don't know, bad example, but, you know, you need to be following people and surrounding yourself with people who are going to sort of in the same mindset as you, or you just have to say, this is my my plan, my goal. I'm not going to listen to what anybody says, what anybody else says. This is for me and just do what works for you. Um, so I suppose just to end nicely, when I tell my clients, uh, I want to give you a healthy diet. It's not any one specific diet and it's specific to you. A healthy diet is the diet that suits your preferences, your culture, your lifestyle, and the weight at which you function best. And that weight may not be your lowest weight. And that's what I say. It's like my tagline. And that's essentially what you should, you should think about when when you want to make the change into being healthier. And it's a long game, So I don't think it's going to be easy, but like you must be able to look back, not next week, but in a year and say, I like this progress. In a month, you won't see progress. You're just going to be like, what am I doing? But persist (laughs) and find that support around you. Um, And I think an important one, I'm just going to add this one in here. It's important who you follow in social media because social media is such a huge part of everybody's lives now. And it's very easy to get sort of dragged into nutrition misinformation, because unfortunately, it's not one of the things that's regulated. Anyone can claim to be a nutritionist online. Um, and it's scary because they could be giving out, you know, information that could potentially be dangerous. And I would say, follow your healthcare professionals, follow doctors, follow dietitians, uh, follow people who have the science and, you know, everyone's in social media now. So it's not that difficult. And then, you know, if you don't have to pay to get all this legit information. It's out there. We want to help. Um, so we do put out all of this information for people like this and we are grateful we are grateful
0: so it's it's interesting to me talking about like-minded people so my best friend uses a dietitian so she's currently and the we ate i think about two weeks ago i went to see her and we, we made a meal together that's part of her meal plan and it was delicious so and I do things my own way and so for people like her who want to be able to reach out to somebody like you how do they find you um so somebody who's like look I want to actually speak to a dietitian I want to find out how to take care of myself um where can people find you like I said you are the happy food um underscore dietitian on Instagram but where else can people find you
1: yeah. So you can also get me on my Instagram handle. And as I said before, I'm an associate for a bigger dietetic brand. She's a dietitian and the the practice is Mbali Mapoli Incorporated. And you can just find her at the Urban Dietitian on Instagram, or you can just find us uh, on Facebook at Mbali Mapoli Inc. Or just type uh, one of our names into Google search and we should pop up uh, with the, with the link there. Um, So yeah, we we are there, you can contact us and we really just do want to help. And that's really such a great profession to be able to help people who want to help themselves. So definitely reach out, we are ready.
0: Thank you so much, Yuri. Thank you for a great conversation. Thank you for um, repping us. You know, us POCs, we need as much representation as possible in every industry. And we need as oh, yes. education to go back to where we come from, as opposed to the things that have been made shiny to us. Um, thank you. You're amazing. You're funny. I'm going to have you again. You are awesome. Um,
1: <laughs> this is really fun. Thank you for having me. this are so great.
0: Thank you so, so much. Remember, if you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe, hit the notification buttons. It's relevant. Go on YouTube and Spotify. From me, Lelato Shabalala and Yuri Baga. Bye, everybody.
1: Bye. Bye.